This is one that you guys can feel free to say with me, but it's the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Pray then in this way. That's Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial but rescue us from the evil one. This version's NRSV, right? You're probably saying one king is. So many of us have heard this from the beginning. It's just like rote memorization. This is the first time I've had any chance to really dig deeply into it, and I'm so glad that I did. Now, before we start looking at the specifics, I want us to recognize that he is not teaching us a speech that we need to memorize in order to be heard by God. So often people believe that in order to approach God, we must say certain things in a certain place and wear certain types of clothing or attire or dangling necklaces, bracelets, right? We have to do all these things in order to be heard by the maker of everything. We do this, we put together the formula just correctly, then we will get what we want. If I kneel at this place, kiss my crucifix a certain number of times, and say the Lord's Prayer 50 times, then everything will be great. But this is not what Jesus is telling his disciples. First off, look at the opening phrase. Pray then in this way. Pray like this. He doesn't say, make sure you say this. And when we look at Jesus' other teachings that we have recorded throughout the other Gospels, he is usually, if not always, teaching his listeners to look for deeper principles, to meditate upon them, and then to apply them to their lives in the ways that they specifically need them. That's why he's a storyteller. He's not just giving rote laws that they need to go and follow. He backs them up with story after story so that way they can connect with him on a personal level. They can figure out the deeper principles. He is not trying to create robots. He is hoping to instill foundational truths that you can use as guides to live your individual life. So tonight and next week, we're going to look at the deeper principles that I have found in these six verses. Please take the time. If you're interested, by this when we finish tonight. Take the time for yourself to get into it and figure out the principles that are in there that you see. two that I'm going to look at, first one tonight and then the next one next week, but God is better than anything or anyone else. God is better than anything or anyone else, and he can be trusted. So let's get into the details. So let's look at the first verse, and I kind of broke it down so that way we can just remove the distractions. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Next week, I'm going to focus more on our Father in Heaven, but specifically right now, hallowed be your name. Now, I'm a, I'm a word nerd. I love language, and so i got to figure out what hallowed means. In the Aramaic, right, when Jesus was speaking, it means to make holy or to set apart. To make holy or to set apart. Holy is one of the most common words to describe God. Here's two examples. 1 Samuel 2.2 and Revelation. There is no 
no holy one like the Lord, no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. That's Hannah, Samuel's mom praying. And then in Revelation, this one's one that you guys most likely have seen before. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside. And day and night, without ceasing, they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And that's John's vision of heaven, of what's happening over and over and over around the throne. They're referring to him being holy, him being completely set apart or different than anything else. Now, holy is a really common Christian use term. We're just saying it. So to help you maybe understand a little bit better, I got a picture and then an analogy. So a picture of balloons. This, more or less, is holy. Completely different, set apart, elevated above the rest. Can you get an idea of what holy potentially is? Utterly different. Fully set apart. An analogy. Think about a famous, really talented basketball player. Michael Jordan for us. Oh, yeah. Older people, right? <laughs> LeBron James, whatever. Pick one of those guys and then picture them competing against middle school boys. I don't want to call them holy, but they are fully different, totally set apart. Being holy means that you are an entirely different league as everyone or everything else. Now, it's easy to see why God is referred to as holy. He is our creator, our savior, and our sustainer. Think about that. You have been made by him. That's just foundational belief we often don't think about, but think about that specifically. You were created. Out of nothing, everything about you was knit together specifically for this time and this place. You were intentionally created. Everything around us, every atom and the ways in which they interact with other atoms to create this beautiful world was all made by God. He's also our Savior. He was willing to get out of his holy beautiful place and step into our brokenness, die a criminal's death, so that way we have a chance to be saved from our own rebellion. The one who made you, that did everything together, was willing to do that for you, for all of humanity. And he also sustains us. Like we were just saying, the breath in our lungs was given to us. Today is a gift. You are alive today because God allowed it to happen. He caused the sun to rise, the rain to fall, the crops to grow. He allowed your heart to beat. So thinking about God in those three simple but profound ways, he is our creator, he is our savior, and he is our sustainer. It makes sense why he's referred to as holy, as utterly different, completely set apart from everything else. He is unlike anything else that we know. But what's interesting in Jesus' style of prayer is not simply saying that God is holy. It doesn't say, Our Father in heaven, you are holy. It is stating that we are to make his name holy. We go back to that definition, hollow, to make holy, to set apart. 
you go a little bit deeper, it is a command that implies that an action should be done to the subject. Subject is the Heavenly Father. The action is to make his name holy. As God's children, as Jesus' disciples, a major role of ours is to declare God's goodness. To spend our time, our resources, our talents, to openly proclaim how much different and better God is than everything else. Let me give you a biblical example of this. David, King David, 2 Samuel 6, 12-14. This is a passage that I don't know how often gets brought up in sermons. So David went and brought the Ark of God. So the Ark of Covenant was sitting in a guy's shed for the last 20 years. Went and brought the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the Ark had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fat ape. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with a linen Evidence in what a priest used to wear with the different stones. So David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Think of King David, David and Goliath, right? The mate and the mighty warrior. Picture somebody dancing with all their might. Jay Z, Snoop Dogg. Think about somebody who's just pouring out all of their emotions, everything they have, through dancing. So this is the the king of this entire nation is unashamedly expressing God's goodness to everyone that is around through David. Now I know this might seem a little bit silly, but it's important to note that David was a musician. The majority of his psalms were supposed to be accompanied by music. For musicians, it seems that dancing is a natural connection to their talents and passions. Is that true, Josh? Chris, Tessa, you guys like to dance? I do. There's just something about it, right? You guys understand music and rhythm. And so dancing is a natural expression of a deeper passion and talent that you have. And so David, in this moment, in the public assembly, is using his passions, his talents, to simply say, God, you are incredible. I want to let everybody else know that you are holy. If you are a disciple of Jesus, one who believes that the God of the Bible is real and that Jesus died to bring you full atonement or forgiveness, then a primary purpose of your life, your time, your energy, your resources, your relationship, your words, your ta talents, your passions, your life, everything, is to set apart God from everything else in this world. To raise him up to a place of distinction and honor. There's endless ways that that's going to be done. Think about your time. Coming to church right now is a way in which you are making God holy. You are saying it's worth an hour of my Saturday to come and make you my priority. Quiet times, when you pull away from everything for five minutes or half an hour, whatever, to read his word, to pray, you are saying he is your priority. When you take time to serve others, you are saying that he is holy, he's better than everything else for that time. You can do it with your resources, how you spend your money, how you spend your, how you use your house, how you use your car. You can use them to glorify God. Your relationships. Do your relationships exist to elevate you in this world? 
or do they exist so that way you can be salt and light for the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth? What about your words? And like I said, I'm a word here, but a big reason for that is because words shape our world. Our world, they have so much power. What we say has major impact on what people think about us and this life. So when you openly talk about God and his goodness, that has far more impact on people and the way they see you and others than you can know. Your talents, your passions, what you do for your job, all of these things should be there so that way God can be made holy, set apart, seen as distinct from everything else. Through our everyday lives, we have so many ways to make God's name holy, to set him apart from everything else. But I believe in order to make this happen, to be willing and able to do this, we have to operate out of a certain mindset. Matthew 6, 10. You wouldn't mind that? Seth? It's the next one. One more. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this one's simple. Kingdom means reign or rule. So it's God's reign over things. His rule over the earth. To come means to make it happen, to put it into place. So it's saying, God, I want your reign to happen, to come into this place right now. Your, your desire, your will, which is also defined as your desire or purpose, may that happen now, in this place. Jesus is saying that a part of our prayer should be a surrendering to God's authority. That we should desire that he is king over our lives and that his will, not ours, should guide the day. When you look through Jesus' prayer life and his teachings, I believe this, you can see that this is a foundational way that he approaches his life as well as God. So Luke 22 and John 6. So this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Tears of blood coming out. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then the statement, as he's talking to the Pharisees, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Years back, I came across a commentator's definition of prayer to exchange wishes. To exchange our wishes, our desires, for God's wishes and desires. And this definition of prayer has radically changed my view of what it's all about. It's about exchanging our wishes, our desires, with God's wishes or desires. And this is not a small thing. Naturally, we are kings and queens of our lives. We continually make choices so that way we get what we want and we get what we think we need. But Jesus is saying that we should be willing to hand over the control of our lives to our Father in heaven. To relinquish our power to choose and instead want what God wants. Let me give you some examples of what this would look like in our day-to-day lives. To love others as much as we love ourselves, instead of treating them the way that we think they deserve to be treated. To help the poor, the widow, 
the orphans instead of leaving them to fend for themselves. They make those choices most likely. To be generous with our money instead of piling them up into our own bank accounts. To live the way that God desires us to live is not a small task. In a lot of ways, it's an unnatural thing to do. Why would we do this? Why would we be willing to live in ways that are not self-focused, self-serving? You know, for me, it's the same reason why we should strive to make his name holy. Because he created us. He saved us. And he sustains us. Looking at who God is in the grand scheme of the universe is enough for me to logically want to do what he has designed me to do. So much of what I've been saying, though, and hopefully you've been tracking somewhat, is about action. It's about the choices that we make either to set God apart from everything else or to raise ourselves as king or queen of the universe. But what Jesus is talking about in this part of the sermon is prayer. How are those two connected? Prayer and action. Now as I spend time thinking about this, I believe that Jesus does this, or he points these things out in the context of prayer, because he understands that one has a direct influence on the other. This style of prayer, which can also be called meditation, has major impacts on the choices we make in our day-to-day -day life. Jesus begins his prayer not by making requests to God, but rather by focusing them on who God is and the position that he should be in our lives. This should show us that prayer is not simply a tool we use to get what we want from God. Rather, it's a way to verbally put God into the position of authority. To speak that he is so much bigger and greater than us and that he deserves all of the glory. Therefore, whatever he wants to happen is what we want to happen. I've told you the power of words that I see, the power of language. However, I don't believe that most of us have either learned or we remember that our thoughts are what guide our lives. The words that are bouncing around inside of your beautiful faces, they come to the forefront of your mind and they influence and guide your emotions, your actions, your choices. Marcus Aurelius, who's an emperor of Rome, said, our life is what our thoughts make it. The things that you spend your time thinking about or meditating on, they move to the front of your life. And they become your priority or your deeper beliefs. This is a major reason addictions like pornography or shopping or gaining other people's attention and approval exist. It's because we are continually thinking about there's not like a chemical reaction that we therefore have to continue to do these things in order to make that happen. It's because it's continually in our minds we must continually do whatever we want to do. It's also why we are self-centered. 
because we are continually thinking about us and what is best for us. Our minds are like fresh soil, wanting to grow whatever we plant. The more we focus on something, the bigger it becomes. Our life is what our thoughts make it. I believe that this is why Jesus starts his prayer in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is teaching his disciples the importance and the power of continually bringing their mind to the fact that God is holy. That he is altogether different and fully worthy of being king of their lives. Jesus knows that when his disciples take the time to meditate on these principles, that their words, their emotions, their behaviors, and their choices will all be directly influenced and their lives will be changed. Let me give you an example in my life this week. So we own, my wife and I own cabins up in the Black Hills. Most of you know this. Uh, we rely heavily on a couple of really good employees. And I found out like four days ago that my the main employee that we have, the one that's like the foundation of what we always go to run our business, had been offered another job, and in three weeks she's gone. Middle of the summer, we lose a huge foundation for our business. I'm so grateful that I happen to be studying this section of the Lord's Prayer. It's where my mind naturally goes, my emotion is like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. I go to fear base, thinking about how I will not be able to continue to pastor down here this fall or in August because my full focus has to now be up there, cleaning toilets and making beds. I think about how much that this would take away from my wife and I's ability to hang out with our kids and each other, always in the fear base. Instead of going there, or going to the fact of God, please help me, please bring somebody in. Because of what Jesus had been teaching me, I started focusing in on the fact that God is to be made holy. That he is greater than anything else in this world. That he is bigger than any of the problems that I happen to be facing. He's bigger than my business. He's bigger than me leading this church. He allowed this to happen. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I've heard this, it doesn't happen. He is in control of all things. If he allowed this to happen, there must be a greater reason for that. And by focusing in on the fact that God is greater than all things, and that I should be living my life to make him holy, that fear was gone. I didn't even get to the point thinking like, all right, God, bring somebody in. It's just this idea like, God, this does not matter in comparison with your greatness, the things that you've given me in this moment. And you be made holy above all else. Prayer is not only a way to make our requests known to the one who made everything. It is a way to transform our minds emotions to help move us to a better place in the hardest times of life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 kind of puts it this way, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, your mind, your thoughts, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, through your prayer life, through your meditation, through looking at and thinking about how good God is and how much he's brought into your life right here, right now. This will transform your life. It will show you the will of God, those things that are good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, I believe that this is exactly what David did and what helped make him the man who he was. As you read through his psalms, you get insight into his mind and the things that he meditated on. Psalms 25 is the one that I wanted to highlight. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. So please leave that verse up there. Even though he was the most powerful man in his country, and able to do anything with a simple command, he continually brought his mind back to God's holiness and made God king over his own life, which allowed him to use his talents, his passions, his dance, to express God's goodness in the midst of all those people. We're going to get a chance to take communion. And please just leave that up there, sir, while we do this. Communion is a physical representation of what Jesus did. There's nothing holy about this bread or this juice. There's nothing here that should be seen as different. But it's rather a representation. It's the ability for you to physically hold something in your hand that can bring your mind to thinking about what Jesus gave up for humanity. And as you do that, I encourage you to think about God's holiness. How much is different? How fully set apart he is from everything else. And spend some time meditating on his authority over your life. Start it now. Don't wait till tonight, tomorrow, Monday, and on Monday I'm going to get up at 6 o'clock and I promise I'll do this. Do it now. Meditate on his goodness and your ability to surrender 